Amen. Well, you can be seated. We're happy you're here this morning. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for you. Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? Can we put our hands together and just thank Jesus for his blood this morning? That it's a promise given to us. Well, I'm excited you're here. I pray you didn't lose a whole lot of sleep as the Orlando Apollos uh, defeated the Memphis, whatever, I don't even know who they played, but um, Charles has been doing an awesome job. You heard his testimony about three weeks ago, and he's been killing it. So if you aren't able to, uh, to watch, I'm sure you can go online and check it out, but we are praying for him. As well as on a serious note, we're also praying for uh, Steve and Sandy Arnold, elders here at the house. Um, her uh, sister uh, is, had a, a serious... Uh, a serious moment in hospice this morning, so they uh, weren't able to make it to church. They rushed over there to be with her um, and to comfort her and to pray with her. So please be praying for Sandy Arnold's sister um, and that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for her situation and that healing power will flow through that. I also pray if, um, as we are increasing our prayer, praying community here, if you're on Facebook, jump online and you'll see that there's a group that you can join called Intercessory Prayer. It's for the church. Uh, when you post on it, not everyone will see it, uh, but just those that are in the group. But it's just this great prayer chain where we can be connected throughout the week in between services, praying for one another, hearing praise reports um, of when the enemy is defeated and the blood of Jesus comes through. So be sure to be posting in that as well so we can know what to be praying for you about. But uh, I'm excited as we go into week two of the Ten Cups. Anybody blessed last week understanding how not to have any other gods before you? We looked extensively at Romans chapter 1, 18, verse 32, and we looked at what ungodly idols, how they manifest themselves, what to be aware of, and how those that are fueled by wickedness suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that they suppress what's in them, the, the law of God that Hebrews says that is written on our heart, to get that out of them when they don't want to follow uh, the ways of God or the commandments, the Beatitudes, you s- they see that the, the uh, antidote for that is to suppress truth and unrighteousness. And we live in a culture, we live in a world that is doing that in a daily basis. Those that don't want to follow and serve God. The heart of this series, the 10 gifts, a church father said that uh, the 10 commandments were as though they were 10 gifts given to the church to draw us into further and deeper relationship with God. Now, I'm t- I know it's a broad statement, but anybody thankful that we can have relationship with God, that he gave us a personal savior in Jesus who died for our sins, who sent the Holy Spirit so we can draw near to God. This was in the Old Covenant and the, the Old Testament. We see that the commandments were not to burden them. They weren't a list of do's and don'ts, but they were uh, these gifts given to God's people so that they could have relationship with God. And I pray as we're almost two months in, anybody thankful it's almost March? Come on, we're ready for that spring weather. But almost two months in to the first of the year, that your heart and everything would always be year after year to draw deeper and to draw closer to God, to hear his voice and to know what he's saying and know what his word says. We talked about last week as well, of how the misconception of the Ten Commandments that when we uh, were exposed to them, maybe as children or coming into the church, it's easy to see them as a list of do's and don'ts. Or uh, you even read them, seven out of the ten in the King James Version say, thou shalt not. 
So in our human nature, when someone tells you not to do something, what do you do? You decide to go and test it and do it. Uh, so we talked about how we have a bent will. But not only that, we have a bent intellect. And so when we're, our conversion experience, when we come and decide to follow Christ, conversion just isn't a prayer we pray or salvation, but it's a conversion of our, our will that's bent that's rebellious, that's hostile toward the ways and things of God or human nature, that is a conversion process that takes place. And then it's our intellect, our ability to reason, our ability to think through things. So when you read God's word, guess what? You begin to form the mind of Christ. You begin to think like he thinks. You begin to walk as he walks. And so the 10 gifts is all about us pressing deeper into God through God's top 10. If you want to know God's personality, if you're into the Enneagram, anyone into the Enneagram, you love studying personality, seeing where people sit. If you want to know God's personalities, look at the Ten Commandments, because that is what he gives in order to have relationship with God. As I've stated before, and I want to yell loud and clear, is that these commandments aren't to keep your life small, aren't to keep you in bondage. They're to bring freedom inside of the law, inside of what God has given. And what we're even going to see in the Old Testament, you'll even see a gracious God even before Jesus comes. Because we have to understand with the Ten Commandments is that they were given to a people that were rescued out of bondage, rescued out of slavery. So now these uh, commandments were given to say, this is what is going to keep you free. What we're going to see in a little bit is God's people, they left a polytheist uh, culture in Egypt where there was multiple gods, gods for everything, gods and idols to bless your crops, gods and idols to bless your fertility, gods and idols to bless your education, whatever it looks like, there was a god and an idol associated with it. And so we know that when God's people were led into Canaan is that they weren't just led into a culture that was idolless. Canaan, if you research it and study it out, had more idols than Egypt did. So they were walking, as they were going through the 40 years of in the wilderness, getting Egypt out of them, they were going to be walking again into another culture, into another land, into another society that was full of idols, full of gods. And so they were going to need to know. And what we see is that they fell prey. They were deceived by these Canaan idols in this land that caused them to fall away, to be deceived, to forget God. And these idols' effects beginning, began to manifest itself in their life. We're going to look also at three points this morning. We're going to look at the danger because there's principles packed inside of the commandments that are relevant, very relevant for our lives today. Last week, it was the, uh, the priority principle you see or the relationship principle that God is giving these to God's, to us, his people, for relationship. And this morning, we're going to see a purity principle that the opposite of purity is obviously impurity. And an impurity comes when there's a mixture. When there's a mixture of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I think this is what God says. I think this is what uh, the word of God or the spirit of God is leading me to do. And without realizing it, we're mixing maybe what our culture says. We're mixing a little bit of the word of God says. And there's an impurity, whether we realize it or not, that is formed an idol in our life. And so I pray this morning that as we Ask the Holy Spirit, as we do every week, to make it personal to you that the Spirit of God would reveal any idols that are blocking your relationship with Him and that are keeping us bound, whether we know it or, that we, or we don't. So you guys ready to dive in this morning? 
Get serious, get real. Okay, here we go. Look what Psalms 106.35 says. This is talking of when Israel was leaving pagan Egypt and entering into Canaan. This uh, foretells of what they did and what they experienced. Verse 35, it says, but they mingled with the Gentiles. Gentiles is another way to say pagans. And it says, and they learned their works. Verse 36 says, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. You read in scripture, anytime something is associated with an idol, it's usually a never a good outcome. It's uh, usually led into bondage or made to bow to it or worship it. And we're going to see that in the second commandment. Verse 37 says, they even, and this is what's crazy about the Canaanite culture, says they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. So we see that a ritualistic idol in Canaan was the sacrifice of your sons and of your daughters, shedding innocent blood of your children. Messed up. I think we can all agree that's messed up. Other idols, as you research it and look into it, that Canaan was associated with, one that caught my attention was that of fertility, that if you were having a hard time conceiving in that culture, what you would do is you would go to the temple, you would pay an offering, and what that offering would then give you, in essence, you were paying to get a, uh, a woman would then sleep with you, i.e. a prostitute, so that offering, you would sleep with this prostitute, that prostitute would then give you an idol, you would take it back to your bedroom, you would place it in it, and that idol was said to bless your fertility as you were trying to conceive in that time. They also had idols that if you had a bad crop year and you needed the blessing of their gods over their crops, that an idol would be given to you and you would put it in your crops praying that the, the God that they believed live in heaven would inhabit that idol. Because here's the thing, it wasn't just a, you know, something as physical like this. They believed that an idol was inhabited by a spirit. And we know as believers that that spirit would be demonic. And so we would see that this culture had a way of idols, believing they would be inhabited, and that if followed correctly, or if a sacrifice was given toward it, or an offering, like we've talked about with fertility, that that idol would be inhabited and then would therefore bless you. But look what Deuteronomy 18 says as it begins to speak to this of the idolatry in Canaan as God's people were entering in. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow. So he's about to list these idols as abominations. You shall not follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. So it's talking about witchcraft here. In modern day understanding, we see our culture portrayed maybe in using a Ouija board, or meeting a tarot card reader, or maybe you go and try to get direction for your life outside of the ways of God, or outside of the word of God. And so it's saying that you're not to fall prey to these things. They might show you something or, or be looking like they can give you something, but that's not what I have for you. And look what, if you skip down to verse 14, this is why God says that. He says in the end of verse 14, he says, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. As for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So we see God lay out clear 
as anything is that he has not appointed these, the, the, a witchcraft spirit to motivate you or uh, really what an idol is is anything that draws dependence upon it and draws you away from dependence on God. And so as you're sitting here and you're, you're hearing this, you're reading this, I pray the Holy Spirit would begin to show you what is the source or the areas of your life that are wanting you, that are pushing you and drawing you that are not of God, whether it be something like witchcraft or whether it be maybe your drive for money or your drive for material things, whatever that looks like, to, to try to find security, protection, anything that isn't of God has the ability to become an idol in our lives. But look what it says in verse 15, and this is a foreshadowing of Christ because we see that Christ is the one who fulfills this and everything in the Old Testament points to the foreshadowing of Jesus. This is what it says. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. This is a capital B prophet. So it's talking about Jesus. Like me from your midst, this is Moses talking, from your brethren, capital H, again, Jesus here, him you shall hear. So it's saying all of that stuff as many times we think about a tarot card reader or someone who can read our palm or give us a, a, a vision into our future, many of us might say, that stuff is wacky, I would never do that. The thing is, they do have insight into the demonic, and they will, at times, can tell you truthful things. So don't underestimate those things or just think it's silly or something we see portrayed in movies or in our culture. It's very serious and it's very real. And we see this in what we're gonna begin to see of the dangers of this or the consequences of it. But I want to get through the danger and I want to get through the consequence because then we need to see the blessing of it. Because again, if we don't understand what we're saved from, we'll never really appreciate what we're saved to or understand how good God is, how good the gospel is. So the first point here and the second commandment, which we're going to get into, there's a portion of it that is probably the most debated in church life or and different doctrinal understandings of it. But it has a lot to say, and I want to take each part of the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to bring a point into it to bring truth to us this morning. So number one, we have the danger of impurity. Look what Exodus 24 says. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. I actually want us to read this together. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So we see the beginning of the second commandment here. And what we have to see about the second commandment is this is the key that unlocks the rest of them. We have to understand idolatry, what it looks like, how the question is you might think of an idol, and like I said last week, when you hear the word idol, you see a statue or a Buddha, or like, okay, I don't deal with that. That doesn't pertain to me. Idolatry goes so much deeper, and Jesus has a lot to say about it as well. Is that idolatry can manifest itself as imagination, is what we're going to begin to see, that where your mind wants to just run off to when you're at rest or you're not moving and doing, wherever your mind kind of falls and rest and where it just moves into an imagination or a fantasy, how you escape from reality, that can be an avenue for an idol to begin to take place in your life. Colossians 1.15 says this. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, what is the irony of irony in the story? You know it, is that as Moses was 
on the mountain with God. The Ten Commandments were being written by the finger of God. What are God's people down at the bottom of the mountain doing? If you know the story, if you've been in any kind of Bible school, you should know this. It says that they were uh, forming up two golden calves to be an idol. So as the, this word is given that thou shalt not create an image, thou shalt not have a carven image, God's people, Israel, are down at the bottom carving an image. And so there's so much irony in this. And, and as we established last week is God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 450 years. So for this generation to be walking out of slavery, there's, it's going to mess with your psyche. It's going to cause such a deep wound that it's going to take a lifetime to be healed from because your whole way of life is now changed and you're trying to understand of what this looks like now. And so coming from a polytheist society where everything has a God, where we see now that faith is having to come into play, and this is what relates to you and I, is that we walk by faith and not by sight. And you see that is Moses' brother Aaron, who is the priest down at the bottom of the mountain with God's people as Moses is up with God, is that he, he's the one who goes and collects all the jewelry, he collects the earrings and all the gold to throw into the fire to build these calves. Where I'm getting at and what I want you to see here is that when Aaron talks about these calves, he says that this is the Lord our God who brought us out of Egypt. He's not creating another God. He's saying, I got, we got to have something. We have to have an image of God that we can understand. And so what is being established here is do not put God in a box. He's saying, I don't want to be in a box because as we said and Moses declared that there is a prophet, capital P, and there is one greater coming after me, and that's Jesus, where we now know what God looks like through Jesus. Jesus wasn't given then. So there's this inclination within all of us is we have to have something visible to worship. We have to see something because naturally we don't operate in faith, right? Faith is learned and faith is built as we step out and as we get into God's word. And so we see just through carelessness, through ignorance, that God's people are having to form this golden calf. Look what Judges 3.7 says. It says, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is key here because this is where idols can begin to take root in our lives. It says, they forgot the Lord their God and served Baal and Asherah. So a form of Canaanite idols. But what we need to see here and what we can fall prey to if we don't, are not careful to is we can forget the Lord our God. Now, when you think about this, you're like, okay, I get maybe me forgetting God in situations, but they saw the Red Sea parted. They saw a, cl a cloud by day and fire by night. They saw the miraculous hand of God, and they forgot who God was. And that's why you see this verse connected in the New Testament into communion, where we see when we partake of communion together, it says, do this in remembrance of me, that there is danger when we forget who God is, and we forget who he is in our life, that we cannot forget his promises. That's why we sing this morning, he is faithful. When you forget the faithfulness of God, you start taking matters into your own hand. You start trying to make the situation happen the way you, you think. You think God is moving too slow. You see, God's people formed this image, this idol, because Moses was delaying up on the mountain. He was up there too long for them. They're like, is he ever going to return? So they got impatient, they got bored, they got disillusioned, and it led them into creating an idol in their life. A practicality is, and I've seen in my life, of when 
uh, my hands are idle, or I'm not moving, doing, working, loving my family, you can get yourself into trouble when your hands are idle for far too long. And so there is power in meeting together like we are in church. There's power in getting up and trusting God, getting to work, having a routine, praying, being disciplined in the word of God so that through your downtime, an idol can't try to raise its head. We see in in the power again of how these idols were inhabited. We also see that the, the enemy gets this idea. It's not a new idea to inhabit something with a spirit. Because we see in Genesis 1.26, look what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. So we see that we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. We see that we are the image of God. And so if the enemy can pervert that or create something to say, forget who you are, forget that you're a child of God, forget that I've created you and formed you in my image and begin to put your faith and your hope in something else or something else that can provide for you or another source, then I can begin, without you even realizing it, to get you to shift your worship off of me and onto other things and onto something else. When you look into this word, image, it's the root word of imagination. When you think about imaginations, imaginations have the ability, again, to form an idol within you. When imaginations try to happen, think of it this way on a serious note, maybe it's a sexual fantasy that you imagine yourself being in outside of your spouse, where there's an imagination that's taking place. Or maybe on a light note, like me, when my mind rests, sometimes I go to the place of, man, I wish I was out on the golf course and not here doing this right now. There's a danger in allowing that imagination to begin to form and to begin to build up in you. Maybe it's something as, I wish I had this much money in my bank account. Maybe it's an imagination, I wish I had this house or drove this car, that uh, an enviness and a covetous begins to come in you because you're allowing your mind to go and to create an imagination. You're not content with what God has given you and provided for you. And so anything outside of that can become an imagination that is unhealthy and that gets you out of the will of God. We see, though, that we're not left unarmed. We see in 2 Corinthians 10.5, and I want you to hear this first because this has been a powerful scripture if you've been in this church for any amount of time that teaches us how to deal with idols and with imaginations. If you talk to my parents and my grandparents, you'll begin to see that they begin to apply this scripture early on in their walk with God to confront generational spirits, and we're gonna see that in a minute, of how you take authority and you can be the one to stop things in your family line, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a a heart issue, whether maybe no one in your family has ever served God before, but you're gonna make the change and you're gonna make the decision to follow God. And so we see 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. It says, this is how we deal with these imaginations or with these images that want to become idols in our life. It says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So this is showing us anything that does this is an idol. And here's how we deal with it. It's bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Another translation says this. It says, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought 
and emotion, I, I think this speaks to our generation right here. Every loose thought, every loose emotion, every impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. So it's saying these loose thoughts, these loose emotions, these impulses of our flesh, if they're not shaped by a life of Christ, they can become an idol in our lives. So again, we see the danger of this mixture, this danger of, a, of an impurity in our life. Secondly, we see the consequence of impurity. Everybody say the consequence of impurity. Here's where we see in the second part of Scripture. It says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them in Exodus 25. It says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And we see here that this is a misinterpreted scripture. We kind of miss it. We begin to think, am I cursed because of something that has gone on in a previous generation? But look what it says. It says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Several things we see here. First off, God doesn't say inhabit. He says visit. There's a difference between visiting and inhabiting. Secondly, we see that God is a jealous God, i.e. he is a relentless God. He is furious over to have your relationship with you and, and affection for you. He wants to draw you in closer. He has given you the invitation saying, I want relationship with you. And we see that that's a, a spiritual jealousy, but we also know there's a fleshly jealousy, and that's not what's associated with that. It's not out of a selfish ambition here. Thirdly, we see that it goes to the third and the fourth generations. And here's the key here of those who hate me. These are of those who hate me, not those who love me, not those who follow me, not those that worship me. It's of those who hate me. As I was looking into this, I want to just take a moment and go a step deeper here so we understand how generational things work. What's pretty neat here is I was thinking of this example as since having Daniel and baby Raina, we now have four generations again in our family. We have my, my grandma, Pastor Joyce, my mom, Jody, myself, and my son, Daniel. So we have four generations, and when we get together for family events, four generations are represented there. And if we were to have, say, a spouse of one of us or whatever, this is just an example, who was an alcoholic, and in the practical, that family member comes into this family meet meeting drunk, slurred speech, vulgar. How many of you, right, this, it would uh, mess up the atmosphere or mess up that family gathering or that family get-together. First off, we'd be like, why in the world are you here? First of all, why are you drunk? And what is your plan here? What is going on? It would completely ruin the moment. Well, I want you to think about it like this in the spirit, is when it comes to generational spirits and when it comes to visiting, it begins to cause a frustration. And this is how, what God is wanting to say here is the iniquity, hear this, I wrote this down, the iniquity, for example, the drunkenness, frustrates the next generation that they search for God. If that family member would come in, into the home, it would frustrate me to begin to look into it a little deeper that whatever caused him to become this way, 
I don't want that a part of my life. That frustrates me. So I'm going to look into it and I'm going to make a different decision than what he did or she did so that my life doesn't turn out like that. So you see, when, the, when God visits those who hate him, for example, he's saying that I'm doing it, and this is even a sign of grace, that I'm doing it to wake them up so it frustrates them so they see the result of it and they don't repeat it. I'm telling you, there's power in this when you begin to see what God is wanting to communicate to us through this. And so they see this consequence. There's also... Uh, it's misinterpreted, and, and the prophet Ezekiel addresses this. It says this in Ezekiel. It's talking about how a son shall die for the sins of his father. And it, it would be similar to us saying in today's world, like father, like son. Oh, well, he's just his father's son, so he's just going to be like him. And Ezekiel says, whoa, whoa, we're getting this wrong. This is not correct. Look what he says. And if you read Ezekiel 18, it lays it out. But it says this in Ezekiel 18, 14 specifically. It says this, if however he begets a son who, who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers, so here's the word considers, and considers it but does not do likewise. And then here's the promise in verse, eight, verse 17. It says, when he considers it but doesn't do it, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father he shall surely live. And so we see here what the blessing is trying to lead into. It says, if you see it, if you consider it, then you have the power to break it. And I know I'm talking to a church, many of you have walked through things and you've been the one in your family line to take a stand and saying this addiction is enough, this uh, attitude is enough, this anger is enough. Maybe you were parented by an angry parent and you decided that I'm gonna be so far from that that I'm not going to respond to my parents out of a, or my children out of a spirit of anger. I'm telling you, when you grow up in something that's unhealthy, it should frustrate you and you should consider it and then you have the ability to break it and do something different. This is the power of the blood of Jesus that's given to you and this is the power of addressing idols in your life and not allowing there to be a mixture because if there's a mixture, Again, what we said last week, God hates sin and he hates it because it hurts you and it's bad for you and it causes you to uh, question and, 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 and confusion. And so when he says to be pure and when he talks about holiness, it's his heart because that's where you see God. That's where you see the Father's heart. And this brings us in to point number three. It's the blessings of purity. So in the same breath, we see that uh, this commandment is given and we see the consequence of it and it says for those who hate me but look what it goes on to say the eight, right next scripture it says in verse six but and this is for you and I and this is the promise we have and this is what I want you to get in your spirit and leave you with it says but showing mercy to thousands this would be translated to thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments so mercy, freedom is available, available to you when you love him, when you love Jesus, and then when you keep his commandments. And when you understand the heart of God, his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are to give you life and to draw you into relationship with him. Deuteronomy 7, 9 speaks of how this is for generations that think of your line when you take a stand against a generational spirit, you're then setting up mercy for the generations after you. It says this, it says, therefore, 
now know that the Lord your God, he is a God, the faithful God. Somebody say faithful. Who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. When you look at the definition of mercy, it says this. It says it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So again, we see the grace of God in the law because many times when we see law, 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 we think it's bad, 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 it's bondage, but you even see through it that God gives this in this setting, in this time, in this covenant as a sign of mercy and a sign of love to have relationship with his people. I wanna leave you with this right here. The Hebrew word for showing can be defined into this, for mercy. So when he shows mercy, hear it this way. He wants to fashion mercy for you. He wants to accomplish mercy for you. He wants to prepare it. He wants to appoint it. He wants to ordain it, institute it, bring about, produce. I love this even, press, and he wants to squeeze it into your life. This is God's heart for you. This is how much he loves you. And in the New Testament, when you read in the New Covenant, when he gives us Jesus, that fulfills this. He makes it all available to us. You know, we see a tragedy in our culture of, it seems like every six months you turn on the news and you see a, a governmental monument that has the Ten Commandments is being taken down. Back in 2015, there was even a, uh, a Satanist church that wanted to erect a statue of Satan in place of the Ten Commandments. Problem was they couldn't find a sponsor, a, a, a congressperson to sponsor this bill to get this statue erected. But nevertheless, we see that our culture has changed. It's shifted to a place to see the commandments of God as hostile, as offensive, that they don't want their burden, that, we, that doesn't apply to us, that we don't want that in our lives. And so we see a culture similar to Canaan where there's idols in our culture that want to pull our affection, want to pull our worship, pull our decision-making process into worship of idols. But we see that God, the reason he gives us this again is so that we can have relationship with him and that we can see these idols and confront them. And as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we can pull every imagination, we can pull every idol, anything that tries to set itself up in our lives that isn't of God, we can pull them down through the power of God. That is what is given to you and I. And as I shared before, I'm so thankful for parents that said, we see this in our family line, Garrett. Here's what's happened. Here's the stand we've took, and here's the stand you're going to have to took. My parents would say that to all three of us boys and would be very clear with it. And, and when they would see things begin to manifest in our lives, they would say, hey, 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 we, we see this. And this is what God wants to do with you. He's saying, your parents' story or your parents' addiction does not have to be your story. You don't have to stay there. You can come out of it and you can walk in mercy and see a thousand generations blessed underneath you. Yeah. This is a gift that he's given us. But you have to ask yourself, am I willing to take a stand? Am I willing to trust God? And am I willing, as we looked in Titus 3, 5, to allow the washing, the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit to make this possible in our lives? Revelation 12, 17, we see this at the end of the book into the Bible. 
we see that Satan is portrayed as a dragon. And if you read Revelation, you'll see the common theme of that. And I think about, when I think about the enemy, I always picture him as a dragon because a dragon is one not to be messed with. Many times we, we minimize Satan and his power, but we know we have ultimate authority and ultimate power. But what I'm saying is we play with things because we think that ah, it's not going to happen to me. But what we see here is uh, a value, a principle. We see in the context of this is the church is now being tested and attacked by the dragon who is Satan and by the offspring who is being attacked as you and I. And here's how he says we fight it. It says, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that all of our story here is the testimony of Jesus. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to annul it. He didn't come to abolish it. That in Jesus, he reduced the commandments and to love God with everything in your life and then love your neighbor as yourself. So he reduces it in the, into those two and then he amplifies it. And then he goes on in the Beatitudes to say, this is now the spirit behind the Ten Commandments. This is now the spirit of where the law couldn't save you, but I can. And this is how that looks. And this is what you begin to walk and you begin to see freedom attained in your life. I pray that you see the heart in this and that you would be drawn into relationship and whatever idols are revealed in your life. As I've been studying there's been just little things that the Spirit of God brought up to my attention that's saying, Garrett, that's an idol. Or Garrett, that's a door you're flirting with that's going to lead to an idol. And so I pray that you take this message and you get in the Word of God and you say, what are imaginations? What are idols? Maybe it's success that drives you or maybe it's a love of money or attaining things to feel a sense of value. Whatever it is, if it's not harnessed, underneath the spirit of God, then it has the ability to become an idol in your life. And so I want to pray for you this morning. And in a couple weeks, we're going to have our next renewal night. And it's going to be a time where maybe in these next 10 days, when an idol is revealed to you, bring it to that meeting and say, I want the touch of God. I want this broken off of my life. Maybe you've dabbled in the occult and witchcraft. Maybe that's been a part of your story or maybe it's in your family line. God can set you free of that and break those wrong words given over your life. Maybe it was a word of prophecy that was given out of a wrong motive that directed a part of your life that God never intended. And you need that broken off of your life. I'm telling you there's power when you say, I want to love God with everything I am. I don't want an idol to lift its head in my life and lead me away from the things of God. So if you bow your head, I want you just to take a moment with the Spirit of God right now. I want you to make it personal. I want you just to whisper to him, say, Holy Spirit, what is an idol in my life? What is an image? What is an imagination that has exalted itself above you? What's a motivation? What's a spirit that's motivating me? maybe a demonic spirit? Where is my source in? Do I really believe that you're my source? Father, we want to get this commandment as a church because this is the key that unlocks the rest of them, the next eight that we're going to see. God, this is vital. God, we want to live a life not of idolatry, but fidelity to you. God, I pray right now that the blood of Jesus is sufficient God, that that's where the power is found. 
that you would set us free of anything that is plaguing us, anything drawing us away from you, any temptation that we've responded to. God, we believe that you can do anything, that nothing is impossible with you. God, maybe there's things in ignorance we're not even aware of that come from a generational line or come from a family line. God, I pray that you give us the wisdom, you give us the power to address these things, the courage, God, that we are more than conquerors, that anything that attacks our identity, God, you give us power to overcome in you. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you set us free. You remove these mindsets. We take everything captive into the obedience of Christ. As 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we honor you in this place and we thank you, Holy Spirit, what you're gonna reveal this coming week because you love us and you wanna set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. If you would love more teaching on this.